Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good evening, and welcome to Foment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. My name is Chris Kuzmi. I'm your co-host uh, here on Heritage on Foment About It. We do this every week with my fiance. Oh wait, my uh, co-host. I mean fiance. Wow, the big news this week. So fun, and I miss her already. She's away. We're fresh back from the Great American Beer Festival, where we also disclosed that we are kind of moving forward with things, and she makes life taste better. I want to spend it. All of it with her, but she's gone on a work vacation, not vacation, work thing. She's not here with me. I'm alone, which is why I'm stuttering, right? She, I need her support. That's why I need her, right? Well, anyway, we're going on. Today's show is all about our Great American Beer Festival. We had a really, really, really amazing time last week, uh, really inspiring beers incredible festival we did a lot of stuff before i get too into some of that i want to talk about some of the things that are going on locally here in new york city uh mary had a speed brew competition going on here a bunch of people made some beverages inspired by her book and uh and some of them straight out of her book uh there they've entered a contest and they will be the winners of this contest will be announced at Bitter and Esther's um, on October 7th, Wednesday, October 7th, at their monthly beer swap. Um, I unfortunately can't make it because I'll be talking about bacteria, the good, the bad, and the ugly, at uh, the beer club at The Well. Uh, that's a monthly meeting that also happens over there on Meserol Street. Really great, amazing beer list and some good people over there and some good homebrewers that kind of get together. Not kind of get together. They actually get together. It's pretty cool. I mean, not like that get together, get together. Never mind. Let's let's move on from that. <laughs> okay. And also, another really fun thing that Bitter Ness is doing, uh, speaking of, we a couple episodes back, we talked about uh, this new experimental hop put out by YCH Hops. Hop, hop number 438. Uh, we talked, we suggested doing a competition or having a homebrew club uh, do a celebration of this hop so that we can get some information or some feedback to YCH. And actually, Bitter Nesters was already on it. They're doing a homebrew tasting along with the Bruminaries, uh, one of the local clubs here. And it, this tasting is going to benefit Ales for ALS, amyotroph- amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Sclerosis. Uh, it's not until the end of October 29th. Tickets are limited, $10.00. A ticket, all that goes to Ales for ALS. There'll be a lot of different beers, all featuring this hop, number 438. Should be really cool. I'm really excited to taste things at this thing. Super, super excited to taste it. Going on also, congratulations and best wishes to Chuck Silva, formerly of Green Flash. He stepped down today from Green Flash in order to go do his own thing, Silva Brewing Company in San Luis Obispo. He just won uh, the GABF gold medal for his Belgian-American Lafrique. He's been a really inspiration brewer over the years. All the hoppy, hop-forward beers coming from Green Flash, uh, thanks to Chuck Silva. He's been amazing. A uh, really great guy. Wish him all the best, and congrats on a great win. Um, speaking of hops... Mary and I judged at the Great American Beer Festival, uh, a side project also put on by YCH Ops, uh, the Alpha King Challenge. We're going to talk more about that next week, but that was the hardest 
competition we've ever, ever had to judge. The Alpha King Challenge is a challenge for best use of hops. And usually IPAs, double IPAs are the winners. Uh, I got to give mad props to uh, Uber Brew out of Billings, Montana, who won for their Alpha Force Double Tap IPA. It's a black IPA. Um, and uh, I had the fortune of being on on that panel and it was it was tough it was a tough tough decision uh but the the use of these hops in this everything was floral we we all agreed that this was just an amazing amazing double black ipa uh and it was the first time a black ipa has won in this in this competition it was pretty pretty fantastic Staying with hops and going back again to our hop hop trip a couple weeks ago, what we didn't talk about is while Mary was going to the homebrew session, I invited myself along to Bailbreaker uh, to do their annual or to join them brewing their annual fresh hop beer that they make. Uh, we use 400 pounds of fresh wet hops directly from bind to brewery within half an hour. It was one of those brewing experiences that I probably will never have the chance to do again uh, and, and that you can only do if you are on a hop farm. So uh, Bale Breaker is owned by Loftus Ranches, and uh, this day, 480 pounds of fresh Simcoe hops into a 30-barrel batch. Uh, we hopped everywhere along the way, from mash hops to uh to Vorloff and to, and while transferring in the in the work grant, a lot everywhere. The loss from kettle to fermenter. So we in the kettle there was forty barrels, got thirty two barrels into the fermenter. Now what they're going to do, or what they they have done, hopefully, or by this weekend, they uh, will take it from now that's at terminal gravity. They'll take it from the fermenter, throw it into the bright tank so that they can clean the fermenter and then throw another 200 pounds of at this point uh cascade and uh mosaic uh to dry hop in the fermenter so they'll they'll send the wort back or the beer now back from the bright tank dry hop it and then throw it to the to, to the back to the bright tank um it's insane. It's insane. So if they if they yield 25, they say they'll be happy. Totally fiscally irresponsible, but awesome. And I wish I could go taste it. And they're going to serve it this weekend at the Fresh Hop Ale Festival in Yakima. It's October 3rd, 5 to 10 p.m. Go to freshhopalefestival.com to have a bunch of fresh hop ales. Now on to the Great American Beer Festival. Mary and I had an amazing time. Uh, beer is made by walking. Was totally inspirational we met some new people and uh just after that day the very following day we went to spangling we were invited to uh go hang out while they brewed a collaboration there i'm going to play an interview that we held while doing this without further ado tales of our travels hey welcome to fun about it. About it. on heritage radio network I'm Mary Isaac. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're here in Denver, Colorado for the Great American Beer Festival. We're actually at Spangalang, which is one of Denver's newest breweries. We're here with some of the co-owners. Hey, guys. Hi. Uh, my name's Taylor Reese. Hey, I'm Austin. Thanks so much for having us at your brewery. How long have you been open? Uh, just about five months. How's it going? So far, so good. Awesome. No complaints. So you have 12 root beers on draft that are all yours at the brewery. I've been sampling several of them so far. You guys are doing a really nice range. I mean, that Boss Man Amber Lager is absolutely delicious. I had the Pure Funk. Tell me a little bit about the Pure Funk. So the Pure Funk is uh, 100% fermented with Britannomyces, and after that fermentation was complete, we added tart cherries and a teeny, teeny bit of rose water. Um, to kind of give it a nice uh, fruity and floral 
uh, nose to it, um, but there's a good amount of tartness there and kind of an undertone of that Brett Funk. Yeah, Super delicious. I find my happy place today in the Petite Saison. So the Petite Saison, that was primarily fermented with uh, French Saison yeast. And then about five days into fermentation, we added uh, Brett, Britannomyces, uh, the Brett Lambicus strain. And it kind of just gives it, it it definitely helped dry it out. And it also contributes to that nose, that kind of earthy floral nose. And then we also uh, dry hopped it with East Kent Goldings. How petite is it? Uh, it's a little, just a teeny bit over 4%. Cool. Awesome. And you have a table beer, which is not on draft right now, but that's always cool. We're huge fans of very sessionable beers. Uh, so that's a peach table beer. So even though I don't get to taste it, how? tell us a little bit about that, because peaches are a big crop here in Colorado, right? Oh, yeah. Colorado's huge on uh, peaches. Palisade <laughs> uh, peaches in particular. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, we, um, you know, it's like, uh, we're in, I was going to say when in Rome, which would have been kind of appropriate. Uh, coming up next. Yeah, coming up next. But um, we, um, yeah, we have uh, a huge, uh, Palisade peaches are a big deal in Colorado. Uh, and so when they're harvested, uh, people get real excited about them. And we did. So we made um, the peach table beer. It's just a super sessionable. It's 4%. Um, easy drinking, refreshing. Good for, we're a neighborhood brewery, and there are a lot of people in the neighborhood. That's what they want. Um, so uh, a lot of that was just to make sure we were hitting all our bases and making sure we kept the neighborhood happy. Awesome. And the last beer, so we actually met you at Beers uh, Made by Walking last night, which we had a spectacular time at. Um, but you were brought a Cucumber Gosa. So cucumber, I'm obsessed with cucumber beverages right now. So tell us a little bit about that beer. That was actually a, a collaboration as well. It was. That's a great story. So there is a pickle company here in Denver called The Real Dill, and they're really good friends of ours. We've been uh, both friends with them and working with them for years. And um, our previous jobs at Great Divide Brewing Company, we did a pickle collaboration. And uh, we were, uh, I actually worked for them for about two months between Great Divide and opening Spangling because uh, I needed some money. And uh, they invited me to their Christmas party because of that. And at the Christmas party, we had been drinking. And one of the owners, Tyler, said, I've always had this idea. I think we should make a goza and add our cucumber water. So they make this cucumber water for their Bloody Mary mix that they sell, which is amazing if you can ever get your hands on it. And uh, so he said, I think it would be perfect. And at first, we're like, oh, it's fine. We'll get maybe. Like, you know, because adding vegetables to beer, it's not something we do all the time. And then he brought us a small sample of this cucumber water, and it was amazing, just aromatic and refreshing. And uh, we started doing some sampling and blending, and uh, we thought it would make an amazing beer. So he was right. We were wrong. And uh, we uh, ended up uh, making the cucumber goza. So it's a uh, standard goza. So it's fermented with Hefeweizen yeast. It's slightly salted. Um, and uh, we also spiced it gently with coriander. Also freaking delicious. One of my favorite beers last night. Thank you. So what? So as we went after we met you last night, you happened to mention that you're doing a very special collaboration beer um, here at the brewery today. So let's talk about that next. First, we're going to introduce our two more guests that we have on. So please tell us your name. I'm Alex Liberati. I come from Rome. I just relocated here in Denver, very happily, and I'm uh, very honored to be uh, in the house of these two fine gentlemen that actually had the patience to have us over and brew a beer with us. It's great. I'm uh, Stefano Di Stefano. Come from uh, Parma, and I work uh, in uh, in Argo Brewery. And 
I'm very happy. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about today, uh, this beer that you guys are making. First of all, tell us the concept behind it, why it exists, uh, and kind of the, the, the experience that we're all bringing to the, that you guys are all bringing to the table. Well, uh, we had an idea when we first met uh, to uh, do something particular, and so it came out that uh, we had an idea with Stefano uh, to brew a beer with saffron. And uh, while I was speaking a bit about saffron with uh, with Taylor and with Austin, uh, it comes out that they're like kind of, well, you know, wait a second, we should add rice to it because one of the best, uh, most traditional Italian recipes, uh, cooking recipes, is actually the rice uh, saffron risotto, which is called the giallo risotto. It's a, it's a recipe from the 1700s, which still today is um, truthfully to its origins. And uh, basically, the we're pretty sure that the saffron will uh, combine well in the brew with the rice and will give a nicely strong golden color to the to the beer and we've also devised the recipe so that the uh, saffron taste will complement the triple style beer that we're aiming to brew and will shine through in a you know good way pleasurable way saffron is not the cheapest ingredient how much uh, <laughs> saffron are we dealing with and how big is the batch that we're doing well, uh, today, uh, Stefano flew in yesterday, actually, from Italy and got uh, brought us some saffron from a small producer in Italy. We are brewing with 4,500 pistols, more or less, today. <laughs> and we're going to produce around 10 hectos, which in barrels ten is... Barrels. 10 barrels. 10 barrels. So, 11 hectos. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Just 11 hectos. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be intense. And the rice component for today, uh, you, uh, uh, Austin and Taylor, you guys have brewed quite a bit with rice in the past. Is that true? That's true. That's yep. true. Yep. What is the approach to, in today's beer with the rice? What's the percentage of, uh, on the grist, and uh, where, where are we going with it? Uh, we're using about 20% rice. And the thing about using rice in beer is it, it doesn't really taste like rice in beer. It just gives you a uh, complexity to the, to the malt bill. Uh, uh, complexity to the to the grain flavor in the beer. We're doing a triple today. That's the base beer. is a Belgian style triple. We're going to use two yeast strains on it. Uh, the rice should really just uh, really help round out the flavor. And I'll... do you have to treat that beer any? So what you, so you're adding rice? How do you prepare the rice? And do you have to treat it any differently because you're adding 20% rice? Uh, no, actually, it's uh, pre-gelatinized. Uh, normally, if you're going to use cereal like rice, you're going to have to cook it in a cereal cooker, uh, but we, we can buy this uh, pre-gelatinized before brewing specifically. And to be truth to uh, the origins of the beer, we also added a very small amount of arborio rice, which is uh, <laughs> northern Italian uh, rice. So yeah, I mean, I think that's, it's pretty legit. That's it legitimates it. That, that thousand grams of arborio is exactly. going to really, really tie the room together. But what is the approach then with the saffron? At what point uh, in the stage of this beer are we, are we looking to do it? And, and it's probably a work in process because uh, we still... Yeah. Still, still ready to go. We're currently in the middle of transferring to the boil kettle. Correct. Uh, we're still discussing, but uh, the original thought, I think, was to make a tea and add a percentage at the end of boil during Whirlpool, maybe right before knockout, and then another percentage of that saffron will go in post-fermentation. That way we can control the intensity of the flavor, because we're not sure what's going to... It's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
So tell us what, what's going to happen with this beer. So you guys will have it on tap here at the brewery. Yeah, I think we'll, uh, we haven't discussed it, all the details, how what's going to happen once it's done in, in kegs and, and uh, where it'll go. Well, but it'll be available for sure. <laughs> I don't know, is this your first time to Denver? Oh, no. Um, I've been uh, maybe four, five uh, years ago. Um, to, to the American Beer Festival uh, two times in 2006 and 2007 and then uh, I have an internship I have I have an internship uh, in a left hand brewery for uh, a week just a week uh, to, to look at something uh, in the brewery and this is the four uh, times uh, in Denver. How long have you been with Argo? How long? How long have long you been with Argo? Ah, uh, two years. And um, I work uh, um, in, the, in the world of uh, Italian brew, craft brewery for uh, eight uh, years. Uh, before uh, I worked uh, in uh, Milano, in Birificio uh, Lambrate, and before uh, in Birificio uh, Italiano for uh, one year. Well, you shared with us uh, your, your two beers here, the cream ale, Italian cream ale. Yeah. Very, very delicious. Low, oh, more of a happier cream ale than we experience in the Yes, uh, it's... Maybe it's an, an historical cream ale because uh, before the prohibition, uh, the cream ale uh, uh, was uh, most bitter and then uh, today and we, we want to re, reproduce uh, a historical cream ale. It was delicious, an absolute standout. And then before we get out of here completely, Alex, you have plans for the future here in Denver? I uh, certainly do. I just moved here a month, so from a month, so it's going to take surely some time. But I'd like to open a brewery. Um, I'd like to open a production space so we can hydroponically produce our Italian uh, species of spices, uh, fruits, and vegetables. And we would reproduce the right climate, the right humidity, the right uh, soil composition uh, to be authentic to the original uh, valleys where these uh, fruits and vegetables uh, come from. And then we're going to be opening also a sort of a marketplace. Um, it's going to be a it's going to be a restaurant, but it's going to be a very laid back thing uh, where you can uh, taste Italian street food, which is something we've had forever, but we never actually put a name on it. And today it's uh, starting to live a uh, renaissance. There's, there's street food festivals now in Italy, which are really enjoyable. What does it mean, street food, uh, to you? Well, to me, uh, the definition of street food is something that you can eat with your hands, basically, because the whole point was that traditionally, for example, let's say supli, these are little balls of rice that get fried, and they were fried in the middle of the streets in these, like, oil tanks. And so the whole idea is that you can eat it on the street because you don't need to be sitting down with a knife and fork. So I think that that's one of the things. And another thing is that Italian street food has a long tradition. So it's not going to be anything new and whipped up. It's going to be fished from 
old cooking books, and we're teaming up with uh, some of the people who've actually been part of this renaissance right. in Italy. So it's it's gonna be cool. Extreme deliciousness with extremely little pretense. There you go. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> so thank you guys so much. It, it was truly a pleasure to come hang out with you guys and taste your beers. Definitely a brewery that I will recommend. So you have you all listening out there, if you're coming to Denver, definitely put Spangalang on your list because you guys are doing some delicious and also very unusual um, things. Everything from amber lager to cucumber goza. You can't beat that range. IPAs as well. So anyway, thank you guys so much for having us and best of luck in your future. Yeah. Thank you. In 1996, L Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hello, and welcome back to Ferment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm without my constituent, fiancé, lovely lady, uh, Mary Izette, because she's off on a work trip. Uh, but we had an amazing time last week at the Great American Beer Festival. And let me tell you something about Mary on the floor of the Great American Beer Festival. She's insane, and she's really hard to keep up with, and she gets insanely <laughs> stimulated by all of the exciting things that are going on right now. She's going to talk a lot about that next week, I'm sure. But one of the, uh, the one of the really exciting things that we, we found on the hall, not on the floor, actually, Charlie Papazian p- prefers that we do not call it on the floor. You don't drink beer on the floor. Well, sometimes we drink beer on the floor, but we don't drink beer from the floor. We drink beer in the hall. Uh, it's in the hall of the Great American Beer Festival. Uh, there was a lot of amazing things and some surprising things, in particular uh, some things coming out of Texas. Texas is making a lot of really amazing beer um, that we really enjoyed. A bunch of sours and very interesting things. The way we kind of planned our nights, um, I kind of tagged along Mary's plan. I, I'm pretty, you know, pretty loosey goosey generally, uh, but she was fun, fun to chase around on, in the halls. <laughs> but she loved Texas. Uh, Row L is doing some amazing things, and uh, the sours were diverse and all excellently made, uh, very delicious, balanced, fun, and uh, especially from Live Oak. Okay, so Chris and I are on the floor at GABF, Thursday night session. We are in the Section L, the Southwest Section. I've been drinking a number of killer sours from Texas. Who knew that Texas breweries could make so could get into sours and make so many rockin' sours? 
But we're talking to Colin Ferguson from Live Oak Brewing Company. It's Austin's oldest brewery. That's correct. That's correct. Austin's oldest brewery. So how long have you been around? We've been in business now for 18, going on 19 years. Awesome. So I'm drinking sour and weird tonight, and this you guys caught my eye because you have a Lichtenhainer, a Graditsky, and a Berliner Weiss. Yes. All of which you've said have ad- been added pretty recently. That's that's correct. So most of our beers that we've made over the last 18 years have focused on the classic styles, the styles that are, that are most popular with the majority of the world that they're familiar with. However, a few of the styles that we brought to market in the last two years are focused more on moving the dial and taking people to new flavor profiles that they're not familiar with. And so for beers like Lichtenhainer and Berliner Weiss, these are styles that are starting to see a little bit of resurgence. Granted, you look back in history, these are styles that are extremely popular for 100 years or so and just fell out of fashion like most things. Trends come and go. Things that we focus on in Live Oak in not only the classic styles, but even some of the more esoteric styles are not as popular as the ones that are more readily known. These are beers that sustain populations for thousands of years. And even though they might not be popular now, they sure were at a certain time. So we believe that even though they might not be economically viable, you know, in terms of like just the, the short-term profit turnaround on a batch, we believe that by being thought leaders in this space, you know, we, we definitely see and have an expectation of where people's palate trajectory is going. As their palates mature, we, we hope to be there with them and provide them with some tasty beer along the way. These beers are best fresh. And what is the general shelf life of these styles of beer in your experience? That's a great question. We are, in addition to being Austin's oldest brewery, we are Austin's oldest self-distributing brewery. So quality control is definitely one of our, uh, it's, it's one of the cornerstones of our business model. And by maintaining our own supply to market and our own inventory management, we maintain the freshness of the beer. In addition, if you go anywhere in Austin today and ask any bartender what their hottest selling beer is, one of them is most likely Live Oak Hefeweizen. And while we're extremely humbled by that, it certainly it makes it easy for us to ensure the freshness of the beer. In addition to that beer, we also make a number of lager styles that are also, we brew according to demand, which has always been really great about being independently owned and self-distributing, we can very much acclimate to the demands of the market on the fly. And so while our beers certainly have a certain amount of time that's necessary for fermentation and conditioning, we are always looking forward to see where people's expectations are going and where they're, where they're, they're searching out for new beers. And so, for instance, our lagers, all of our beer, you know, we turn most of our beer at the brewery within the first two weeks. So anytime you're drinking a live oak pint in Texas, it is within two weeks of being produced. So it's not traveling extensive periods of time. It's not going 4,000 miles over an ocean. There's no flash pasteurization with our products. They are fresh beers. How big is the brewery and has it expanded since starting 18 years ago? It certainly has. Uh, In the last, you could say, four years, we have grown approximately 78%, and we've gone from about 4,400 barrels to just under 10,000 in self-distribution. So we are still, you know, relatively small, in the whole spectrum of things, but considering our density and market, you go anywhere within 25 miles of Austin, Texas, and we are we sell 92% of our beer within 25 miles of the brewery, which I think is a, a pretty cool thing. So why, why Lichtenhainer? So Lichtenhainer for us is a style that uh, 
it, it, it poses a couple challenges for most people. One being that it's smoky, two being that it's sour. And these are both flavors that the majority of beer drinkers are not quite familiar with or don't associate with beer. And this was a style at the same time that Berliner Weiss was, was enjoying its popularity in northern Germany during the mid-19th century. Lichtenhainer was also enjoying the same popularity just west of, of, of Berlin. But this is a style that has all the characteristics. When we talk about smoke beer and how important that is, if you look at our portfolio of beers that we make year-round, we are always offering a smoked beer. And smoked beer, they not only have a sense of place, they have a sense of history. They link us back to our common roots as a culture that was built around our ability to live together. And you could say that the reason why we live so well together is because we're well lubricated. And beer has a fundamental role to play in the health of a civilization. And these are styles, well, smoked beers might be somewhat difficult for a lot of your, your new people entering this market. You know, the more flavorful, you could say, craft beer segment. These are beer styles that, that certainly challenge them and give them room to grow. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. It was a true pleasure to drink your beers and talk to you. Thank you, Mary. Cheers. All right, we're on the floor at GABF on Thursday night. We just rolled up to MIA Brewing Company. They're out of Doral, Florida. Uh, Doral, Florida. Doral, Florida. Tell me your name. Uh, my name is Piero Rodriguez. And you are? Uh, brewer at MIA. Josh Levin, brewer at MIA. All right, so you guys have a 10% Big in Japan sake beer. Well, first of all, how long have you been around and how big is your brewery? Uh, we have a, uh, well, we've been open production since October of last year, so 2014. Uh, our taproom opened uh, January of this year. We have a 20 barrel uh, from Premier. And um, yeah. All right, so 10% sake beer. So I'm a huge fan of, you know, kind of interesting, funky beers. I've had a couple sake beers from other breweries. What inspired you to make a sake beer? So we're, we're all about blending the lines of what a beer can be, and we think this beer was our, our attempt to really do that. So we, we basically took a, something that was similar to like a Belgian triple recipe, and we added 30% flaked rice to it. And then to give it some nice dryness, because it, it ferments completely, and then we fermented it with 100% Japanese sake yeast instead of brewer's yeast. So it really drinks sort of like a Belgian triple coming in, coming in at 10% alcohol, but it finishes with a dryness of sake and some really nice pear kind of esters that gives it a unique character that I think really blurs the lines between what a beer can be. Tell me about some of the other beers that you have that are blurring the lines between beers. Sure, sure. So we're doing a couple of, I mean, we do, a, one of my favorites here is their Scotch Ale, uh, Kilty Pleasure, which is basically a Scotch Ale that we age on orange peel, vanilla, and hickory wood um, for an extended period of time. Just gives it a really, really neat complexity to that beer. Um, and what inspired you to choose this, this combination of orange peel, vanilla bean, and hickory wood? Mike, our, our head brewer, comes from a real culinary background. He's, he's been a bartender and a brewer for a long time. He, he loves to explore with different flavors and combinations of really interesting flavors. And we love to, you know, together, all three of us brewers bring a different aspect to the whole thing. So he's really big into flavors. I'm really big into hybrids. We've done some beers that combine wine must um, and beer. We've done um, combining saisons with, with um, apple cider, just kind of really blurring the lines between what you can do with beer and trying to throw whatever we can, which a lot of the inspiration comes from Dogfish Head, you know, because, I mean, we're not, we're, we're doing things that these guys have been doing for years, you know, and just trying to improve on them and just have a lot of fun with it. 
Awesome. So what's, what's one of your recent favorite beers that you guys have, have brewed or come out with? Um, Fountain Brew, one of the ones we have here, is a gold medal winner for us. We actually uh, won a gold medal in the Florida Beer Competition. Uh, it's a Saison that we do with aged on cedar and lemon verbita. So, I mean, when we talk about if the beer is going to taste like something, those flavors are really going to come through. You know, we really want you to taste what we're talking about. Awesome. Lemon verbena is a very fun, very underused fun. spice, I believe, and, and it's, it's delicious. And it gives you a really unique quality. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm going to try next. So thanks so much for talking to us and cheers. Thank you. So I'm on the floor of GABF 2015 on Saturday afternoon session. I'm behind the booth at Bear Brewing Company with Cheyenne Zerko. Awesome. So you guys are doing something really unique. First of all, you have a Berliner Weiss, and you're serving it with homemade Woodruff syrup. So first, Bear is here in Denver. How long have you guys been around? Uh, we celebrated our first anniversary on July 5th, 2014, so just over a year. Awesome. And how big is your brewery? Two and a half barrels. So pretty small. Very small. So what was your inspiration behind doing a Berliner Weiss? Uh, yes, I certainly have been interested in the German sour style for a long time. We had it as a wedding homebrew for many, many years ago that nobody got. Um, we figured if we were going to do it... Um, So tell me a little bit about how you guys approach the Berliner Weiss style. Um, so we do uh, we do kind of a, a mixed culture on that. So we, uh, we culture some uh, wild lacto off of the grains, you know, kind of the grains that we're using for that batch. Um, we're the original starter, but to keep some consistency, um, we do keep some of our old cultures, um, you know, from old brews as well, so blend that in. Um, and then we kettle, we kettle sour that. Awesome. And you guys have both the plain version here, but you also have a version that you've added a homemade Woodruff syrup to. So that's a traditional um, addition to the Berliner Weiss in Berlin. And you guys are unique in that you grow your own Woodruff. So how did you guys decide to make your own Woodruff syrup, and how easy it is to grow? How easy is it to grow Woodruff? Uh, yeah, so we figured if we were going to have a style, we had to keep it traditional and have a syrup as well. Um, uh, it's Woodruff is relatively easy to grow, actually. It's a perennial um, shade shrub, and people use it for landscaping all the time. Um, and it grows well, doesn't need a lot, of, a lot of water, so that's easy. It's difficult in the winter because we have to use the dehydrated forms, which is actually becoming more and more difficult to come by, so we'll have to figure that out next winter. Uh, when we get there, I guess. Um, but it's, it's just such a simple, it's just such a simple thing. I mean, we have a simple syrup. We grow the woodruff. It's very easy to make, very easy to, to bottle, and so why not? Why not do it? Awesome. And what has been the reception from awesome. people? It's been very warm. Um, you know, I think it's it's nice always to encourage people to try the Berliner Weiss by itself. Um, understand what the beer is all about. And then to add that, uh, you know, that subtle syrup, just to get the, the essence of what that woodruff really gives. We make other um, syrups as well, but it's important to have this raspberry as well. Of course, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so thank much. You. Cheers. And that was some of our time at the Great American Beer Festival. It was pretty amazing. I had a really great time uh, serving on behalf of the. Uh, New York State Brewers Association with Paul Leon. Uh, they're doing great stuff for, for our state, and I'd be remiss not to, to mention it. I represented the New York City Brewers Guild. We had a strong showing on the, on, uh, in the hall. And also congratulations to our friend Lauren and Joe Grimm, who actually won, won gold this year for the double negative, uh, awesome stuff. Um, and what else do I have to say?
say. Just we had an amazing time going to different different breweries in Denver. It's an awesome place to visit. This is an amazing festival to go to. I strongly advise it, encourage it. It's inspiring as a fermenter. And um, Mary, if you're out there, I love you. I can't wait to uh, to to. I, I'm excited to continue with this mixed culture fermentation for the rest of our lives. Thank you and foment about it. We'll see you, hear you next week. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. I